right, welcome back to another episode of the Bills Beat here. Now that we're under two weeks to go until the 2019 NFL Draft. Exciting stuff. And, of course, the Bills, they just went through their annual pre-draft press conference. Um, This one featured the Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. You know, it used to be a luncheon. Now it's... Now it's just, you know, a press conference. But they did serve lunch, so I guess it's not all that different, right? It's a bit bit more of an understated affair. Yeah. There used to be scouts that would go out there and a whole assortment of... There, much ado was made of, of, of what, you know, they had to say and everything like that. Now they kind of just sneak it in there at the beginning of the team reporting for voluntary workouts. And, you know, it's still far enough from the draft that, you know, they can play play things close to their vest, but still somewhat enlightening, I think. Yeah, uh, for sure. The day was on Monday. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think what I liked most about it is it got more into theory. And there was a there was a couple of nuggets of information that came out. Like, you know, one thing you asked, I think the second to last thing was how many players wind up on the draft board by the time they're all said and done. And he said somewhere between 115 and 140, depending on how uh, unkind the doctor is to them and having to take guys off their board because of medical concerns. And I thought that was fairly insightful because you oftentimes you look at the NFL draft and you're like, okay, what is it? 256, 256 players are taken every single year, but this team only has 115 and to 140 on their draft board. So where do all of those other names go? And I think that's somewhat of a, a, a topic of, understanding for fans I think they're trying to go okay well where where's the rest of this thing go and the only and where my mind kind of went with is you know what he talked about initially the injury concerns the uh the character concerns but not only that like there's really no reason to have quarterbacks of any kind on the board whatsoever and if you are that deep that strong at a position or if you would just have no I guess motivation whatsoever to take a certain position in a certain round, then you would kind of remove those players that would go in that round from your board, I would think. And that that's all part of it too. Yeah, I think there was maybe a slight misunderstanding. It, it's not the top 115 players in the draft. Right, yeah. Because as a few people pointed out, if that were the case, they would run out of players. It's more so they don't have... 32 players graded as first round picks 32 as second round picks 32 as third round picks and so on there's only a certain number of players in each round so the 140th guy on their board likely carries a udfa grade Mm -hmm. uh, or a late round grade and they probably have quite a few of those players especially considering where they're picking i'd be curious if they have any quarterbacks on the board I I almost feel like they should uh in the interest of doing their homework because if a guy's available it's not as if Matt Barkley and Derek Anderson are you know incredible backups I think they're solid and I think they're fine there but if the right opportunity presents itself you should always be prepared but between medical stuff character stuff scheme fit stuff yep a lot of guys will come off the board and that's just some teams will have north of 300 players on their board and feel like they need to have every single guy on the board no matter what 
but a lot of teams do it the way Brandon Bean described because it's just a matter of limiting distractions and knowing whether you want a guy or, or whether you don't. Whether If a guy doesn't pass the character test, then he, he's not going to be a consideration pretty much no matter what round. Same goes for the, the medical red flags because um, you know there's certain things that are just non-starters for them. And so, I don't know, it's almost... It's something that people should probably consider doing in fantasy drafts and things like that. If you don't want a guy, just, take him just off your lim- board. Your, you know, limit what your brain is focusing on and you know streamline the board so that you have only the guys that you're considering. That makes it so much easier to determine trading down or trading up, as Brandon Bean described. If you've got no more third-round grades on your board and you're sitting there in the third round, you're probably trying to move back as, as much as possible. Same goes for if you don't have that many third round grades left. It's coming up on your pick, but there's a second round grade sitting there. You might try to move up and get that guy. Mm-hmm. And so it really helps you determine your strategy when you have just the limited number of players that uh, you know you want to go after. And it's not as if they haven't looked at north of 400 players on tape and at pro days and everything else fact of the matter is some guys just don't cut it they're just not nfl players and some guys um you know don't cut it for them don't fit for them so don't take it as don't be worried that brandon bean's going to run out of players to pick because he'll that won't happen and the other thing that he revealed that i think is somewhat important for just delineating who they might be looking at and and things along along those lines he said they they tiered the first round into three different player or three different types. You know, top talents, uh, the middle guys in the first round, and then the bottom guys of the first round. And you know, I think that could potentially lead into a conversation about whether or not to trade up or trade down. Because if you don't have any more of your top tier guys left on your board and you're at ninth overall and you have an offer to move down and you're into the middle tier guys, then odds are then you would prefer to move down. So I thought that was maybe not revealing, but you know, just, just another little nugget of information based on how they could wind up drafting. And I think the, the biggest takeaway that I had from Brandon Bean on Monday was he kept on pushing the best player available thing. He's like, guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to take best player available. I really am. But I think there's somewhat of a a misconception about what best player available really is, perhaps in the eyes of the Bills. You know, BPA, I guess in a grandiose way, is thought to be like, okay, regardless of position, doesn't matter who you already have on your roster, doesn't matter any of those things. Um, If the player is the best man, uh, the best man available, then you take him regardless of position. Already have a quarterback, you take a quarterback. Now that's an extreme example, but I don't, uh, but that's kind of the premise of the whole thing. However, I think there exists the opportunity for Brandon Bean to still be being truthful here and to still address needs because as we just pointed out, if his draft board ends up with only 115 to 140 down the line, odds are they're not going to have players at positions that they are already incredibly strong and young at rated so highly or even on their board altogether because they already have that on there. So when they say, hey, we're going to go best player available, 
odds are the best player available is also going to be a need of some sort. And this this also kind of goes along the lines of, okay, well, what does he consider a need? I mean, does he consider defensive end a need by the, how the fans and the media see it? Because we see it as, as a need, but he might not see it as a need based on the way he thinks we see needs. So it's like... Well, he also did make the point that... Um... He said, it's not hard to figure out what our needs are. You yeah. Know, you, guys are, you guys are pretty pretty sharp people. So, uh, you know, I think it, it does present an interesting conversation. You know, if, if Drew Locke is on the board at nine, there will be some teams out there that would say he's the best player available. And maybe he would be the best player available. The Bills aren't going to pick Drew Locke at nine, I feel pretty comfortable saying. But the way that Brandon Bean can get up there and still say he picked the best player available is if that Drew Locke just was never on his board. Yep. Now, that's where I wonder, Drew Locke probably should be on your board in the sense that you need to know if if Drew Locke's the best player in this draft and you have a quarterback already, you're not picking him. But knowing that he's graded that way is important because if you're sitting at nine and he's available then you need to know that there might be somebody willing to move up and get him and what he should be valued at as opposed to, well, we don't need him and the best player on our board is Ed Oliver. Well, Ed Oliver you know, might be worth the number nine pick. He might be the best player on your board. But if you can get a greater return on a guy like, you know, let's say Kyler Murray falls, you know, obviously they're not taking Kyler Murray, but what you get for Kyler Murray might be worth more than, um, you know, Ed Oliver. So I think you just need to, maybe they're not necessarily on your board, but it doesn't mean they're not watching those guys. I would assume you still have to watch the quarterbacks if for no other reason than to be aware of them and, you know, know, Hey, maybe the dolphins pick one of these guys. It doesn't hurt to know who they are. If they don't pan out in a certain place years down the line, you want to have a catalog of those guys. Brandon Bean talks about that all the time of even if they don't pick a guy, doing the homework now is important because then he can look back and say, well, you know, Drew Locke, Drew Locke gets cut in three years um, like a certain Mizzou quarterback before him. And now he's available. And this is what we thought of him then. This is what coaches said about him then. It, would he be a good backup? Would he fit in this room? you now have something to fall back on and instead of if you just ignored them all together. So that stuff's all important, but at the same time, uh, Brandon Bean sounded like, sounded like a guy who's ready to make a pick in the top 10. Yeah. And as much as I think he should move back, I'm not entirely sure it's in his nature to do so. And He's aggressive. And he's aggressive, but the way that he talks... And the way that, you know, just being around him, you know, the last couple of years, he believes in his scouting process a tremendous amount. And guys who believe in their scouting and their staff like that, you know, I think logic says and the odds say in the NFL draft, moving down and getting more picks gives you more cracks at it and a better chance to to hit. But if you really think you know which of these players is best, 
then you want to stay there and pick those guys. Mm -hmm. And he's wired that way, at least it seems to me. I mean, you just look at him going up to get Tremaine Edmonds last year. The quarterback thing is completely different. I don't think you can read into how a general manager is based on him trading up for a quarterback because I think eight of the last nine, some absurd number of the quarterbacks taken in the first round outside of Baker Mayfield, teams have had to trade up to get them because that's just how it goes. But trading up for Tremaine Edmonds is probably more of a clue. Oh, this guy's sticking out as a high first round grade. And he kept saying that on he, Monday, like, hey, let's say there's there's this guy sticking out and you you want to move up to get that guy if he uh, if if what you would be picking from is is considerably worse than what you would be able to get by moving up to go get that guy. And I think that trade in hindsight made made some sense because at 22, they would have missed out on Tremaine Edmonds, Derwin James, Frank Ragnow, Billy Price, and then Leighton Vander Esch, yep. which would have been a pretty bad run for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just, I don't think Brandon Bean was sitting there saying those would be the next five picks. But you could also argue right now, and, and it's early, but you move up to 16, Leighton Vander Esch is on the board. Derwin James is on the board. Those might have been the two best defensive rookies in the league, uh, and they picked Tremaine Edmonds. We'll see how it pans out years down the line, but I think that's the risk you run in trading up and thinking you know absolutely you know, that this guy's going to be this much better than that guy and trading the first pick in the third round to do it. Um, so it's a risky endeavor trading up because if, if they're going to trade up in the top 10 and it costs them one of those day two picks, then you're really rolling the dice yeah. that the guy you get at seven or six or five is that much better than not only just the guy you're getting at nine, but the guy you would get at 70 something. Yeah. And Brandon Bean does not strike as the type where he believes he's in a situation that, you know, trying to push aside the fact that he could get a premier talent in the top 10 of the draft that would be vitally important to them because ideally they're not picking in the top 10 ever again. And that's the way he's been building his roster. If they can find an impact player at that position, then so be it. But if the board falls a certain way and, and they're now out of the idea of getting a, a a top premier type of talent at, at one of the positions that they deem to be most important, then, then that might be the only way that this, thing becomes a potential for trading down. But I, I don't know that that's the case because I think he believes strongly in a handful, maybe even more, of guys at positions that, you know, will uh, there will at least be two of those guys there by the time ninth, ninth overall comes around. And that's that's important here, which is why I think the notion of best player available and need all kind of fits into one category here because it can be both and while he does have eyes and and has a a working knowledge of all the players that might not be on their board just to understand value and where where uh, guys should be taken or where they think guys should be taken or the value that they could get in a potential return of a trade that all that all works into what they're actually going to do on draft day and I think for me, based on the way Bean was talking, it certainly sounded like a guy, and I'm agreeing with you, that 
wants to be in the top 10. Now, notice we didn't say ninth overall because there could exist an opportunity or, for that matter, the only opportunity to get an impact player at a position that this organization, and this comes from head coach Sean McDermott, a position that they deem to be critical. That was the exact word Sean McDermott used when talking about interior pressure. Um, it was at the, the coach's breakfast at the owner's meeting. Asked him about Kawan Short. He said interior pressure is critical, especially to their defense. And they don't, they don't have that. There are two clear-as-day guys who can come in and make a huge impact. Now, Quinnen Williams is probably a pipe dream. We talked about him a bit the last podcast. But I think the, the entire conversation kind of centers around Ed Oliver here. And there's the notion that I think a lot of fans out there think, well, hey, just stay at nine. Ed Oliver will be there. Good to go. I'm not sure that's the case. Because you look at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is probably going to do away with Gerald McCoy, which means they need a new three technique, someone that you know creates havoc from the interior. That's Ed Oliver, and, and odds are Quinton Williams will already be off the board by that point. Um, then you look at the Giants. The Giants could always add someone, someone like that, even though they might need more of a nose tackle. Who knows what Dave Gettleman is going to do from for one play or one pick to the next. And Jacksonville can always stand to add those guys. I know they just added Taven Bryan, what was it, a couple years ago, but he hasn't really done much of anything down there. Just last year or was it two years was ago? Was it Bryan? I think I, so. I think, oh, he, he might be Trump, though, by, by it out at Oliver. But, you know, it, it uh, either way. But there's also Detroit, too. I mean, Detroit could conceivably take someone like that. Or there's always the possibility of somebody moving up. Or the Jets allowing someone to move up and then moving down to pick up at Oliver. I think that if they truly have him as an impact player, and they want to secure his services, I don't know that there's any... I would hesitate to think that they would just sit around and wait or want to sit around and wait just because he's he is an impact defender at a position that they view very highly in their system. Yeah, I, I think all that makes sense. I just don't think... If the price is a day two pick to get up there, which it might be. I mean, when you look at the cost of some of these trades in the past, to get from 12 to 7 cost, what, two second round picks? But that was also a quarterback trade, and the For book kind of gets thrown out. A little bit. A little bit. It was a trade that I think was by the chart for the most part. You looked at the other quarterback trade. Um, that costs some day two picks. Those day two picks, I I hesitate to endorse parting with. Well, uh, here here's the thing: times. like in in terms of the trade value chart, I don't think they would jump up to like four. I think the earliest they would do is is five. But let, let's say the sweet spot is I don't know five through seven. If if we're going lowest possible here, Jacksonville would be a. 150 point difference on the trade value chart, which you could basically, you could flip your third rounders and then give up a fourth 
and you're good to go because Jacksonville has a later pick in in the third round, and that's pretty equal in terms of in terms of value. And you're surrendering, I don't know what is it, almost 30 spots in the third round, but you're still technically in the third round. So that's a way to do it. Uh, the Giants, I mean, you're you're going to have to give up a little bit more because you're now down by 250. That probably means you're giving up the the third round pick, um, just flatly and that's that's probably going to be the cost and probably an additional day three um maybe you get like a seventh rounder or something on the back end who knows five that's going to be tougher because then you might have to start thinking about your second round pick because you would be down 350 points um but still you could probably get away with giving up your third and one of your fourths to do it the the big question is is Ed Oliver worth that much to you? And because I think we also have to consider, because we both love the draft like crazy, but the value of these picks just go down considerably as soon as those picks become players. And you you look at, okay, third round pick. They've done well with, with some later picks, mid-round picks before, but best case scenario usual cases what is that third round pick what is that fourth round pick is it a backup special teamer is it someone that you want to become into a role player or a, or a potential starter um, how important is that starter to you in the grand scheme of things and does the gap get bridged a bit by how good of a player someone like Ed Oliver might be I think that's that's all part of the equation that you have to consider when thinking about trying to move up while you're still in somewhat of a rebuilding mode. I, I don't think it would cost them their second round pick. As long as they keep their that 40th overall spot, I think I would be okay with adding that player in particular because I think he could be just an absolute wrecker of all houses um, in that defensive system. I So another thought experiment is roughly 24 and 27 and not saying this would be on the table but those are oakland's two first round picks Mm -hmm. if that was offered for nine Mm -hmm. you know let's take out who who cares who's on the board essentially maybe it's drew lock and and oakland wants him who knows i think that's a trade i make um the the thought experiment for me is if you believe in your scouting so absolutely to think you know who the good players are. You should feel pretty good about your staff's ability to get two impact players at 24 and 27. Also Not true. for nothing. In the top 10, it shouldn't be that hard. It is. Teams have shown that it is somewhat hard, but it shouldn't be that hard to scout uh, and find a guy in the top 10. It gets a little bit harder down the board, but if you believe in it absolutely, then... I think now you have two shots to add an impact player and a shot to add two of them. Um, I With the, the second and third round picks, a thing that Brandon Bean brought up at one point this offseason, I think at the owners' meetings, was that if a position is deep, then you don't need to necessarily take that position in yep. the first round. Yep. Defensive line, he con- he said he considers deep. Now, yesterday he hesitated to call it you know, a generational class or historical class or anything like that. But 
let's not forget Kawan Short was a second round pick. Yep, that's uh, right. I mean, there have been impact defensive tackles found in the second round. My question is not whether Ed Oliver himself is worth the price that you're giving up. My question is whether a player at that position or any position outside of quarterback is worth giving up what you could have in the second or third round, especially for a team that is lacking on, you know, young rising talent, at least across the board. You know, they've obviously got their pillars from last year's draft and they've got Tredavious White and Matt Milano from the year before, but that's two drafts of guys that you feel good about going into the future, whereas you don't have a lot of that because they basically wiped the cupboard clean from the drafts before that. And so getting rid of picks in the top 100 for a guy that, yeah, Ed Oliver's really good. I wouldn't you know, say that they're out of their minds for wanting to move up and get Ed Oliver. But it would be a lot easier to swallow if the price was a fourth-round pick. Yeah, um, but that a fourth-round pick is not getting it done. And it won't get it seven. done. And so if you're, given, if you're now saying we have Ed Oliver and one more pick in the top 100, you're not feeling... I, I don't know how great you feel about that. Because how- it, or unless it's Ed Oliver, two picks in the top 50, and one at the very bottom end of, of the top 100. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's an... It's an interesting discussion of value, and it's one that that they're going to have to they have to determine how they feel. Like like we said, talked about with that board of one fifteen to one forty. Mm-hmm. How many of those guys are in rounds two and three? Because if there's a lot of them, then I don't think you give up those picks. Because look at the wide receivers that are available, the tight ends that are available. Do you feel better about getting Montez Sweat and? Well, here's the other thing, too, is if you have more of those picks, you know, if you use your ammunition to move up from nine to five or nine to seven, that limits the ammunition you have to move up in the second round or the third round. Because I think moving up in the third round, maybe you go back into the second round makes sense because they have two fourths and two fifths. Is that right? Yes. And so, and two sevenths. You probably don't have enough room on your active roster for all these draft picks. So giving up the fifth and fourth rounds to move up into that top 100, I think gives you a is is easier to talk yourself into than moving up two or three spots and maybe giving up a a shot at a top 50 or top 100 player in the process. Yeah, I understand that. But I think the reason why I'm in support of Ed Oliver is partially to do with this draft class at defensive tackle because, you know, there's Christian Wilkins, who will probably end up being a first round first round pick um and he's probably the next closest guy to oliver and quinn and williams but after that i mean you're you're basically just going on projection with a lot of these guys like draymond jones from ohio state he's i mean he's super athletic but he's not really great i mean he's a solid solid pass rusher gets washed out by the run a lot um, Ronell Wren is a complete project out of Arizona State, and let's say if they can't get their hands on on Ed Oliver, or if or if the cost is too high for them to move up to get that guy, then then you 
odds are, are looking at some of these guys in the second or third round anyway. But the the gap in potential production at such a critical spot, that's why, I don't know, that, that Jacksonville one that, that I brought up kind of makes the most sense to me just because, you know, from the trade value chart, I think it works out to the Bills would be giving up 16-11 and the Jags would be giving up 16-08. So the Bills would be would be giving up 74 and uh, let's see. Um, they could either do their, their second of their two fourth round picks or they could sweeten the pot and give the first of their two fourth round picks, which is 112. But they would also be getting 98 on, on the back end and that would make it a, a good trade and it would benefit both parties and, and everything like that. And that those are usually the best trades anyway. But the rest of the class to me, you know, I, I don't, and maybe this is just a me thing. I'm not as particularly as crazy about the three technique defensive tackles. Once you get outside of the first round. And I don't think there will be one there for the taking at 40. Um, that will be worth it. Then you get to 74 and you're, you're trying to talk yourself in as we talked about last time, you're trying to talk yourself into guys like, Maybe Draymond Jones, if he's still on the board. Maybe Tristan Hill from UCF. Maybe um, Rennell Wren from Arizona State. But you're talking yourself into it, and then you're still staring at having Jordan Phillips as your starting three technique in, in 2019. So that, to me, is why put in... If, if this is a position that Sean McDermott has called critical, I mean, you worsen your, your spot in, in the third round by, let's say, 30 picks. I think the opportunity to add Ed Oliver, because I don't know that you're going to be able to at ninth overall, will is you know makes up the cost of those 28 selections in my mind. And and you said it yourself. Like the odds are they're not going to be able to sneak all of these all of these guys, um, all these draft picks because they have 10 of them in, in total. Odds are not all 10 are going to make the team. So if you can get a true-to-form impact player at a position you call critical, you go up and do it. Now, here's the problem I have, and I would say if you do that, then you're, in a way, in a manner of speaking, you are drafting for need at that point. And I mean, and yes and no. He could still be your best player. He, he certainly could still be the best player, but to give up future assets, you're you're doing something mildly drastic to address a need. Uh, not necessarily as drastic as what they did for Josh Allen, but I think the argument becomes, is that worth it for that that position? Not necessarily the player. Um, I know they, they consider that a critical position, and it is a critical position, but you ask yourself, are you doing this because this is a huge need on your roster? And if you're truly drafting the best player on your on your board and, and sticking to your board, then need shouldn't probably shouldn't factor in so much that you feel the need to move up. If you can sit at nine and get Montez Sweat or Jonah Williams or TJ Hawkinson, and they're probably not drastically far apart from Ed Oliver on the board, unless Ed Oliver is sitting there at number one. And I think there's you know, a chance he could be based, you, based on the importance of position to their system and based on what he is as a player. I think he 
has a very good chance of being high, high up their board. I really, really do. It's possible. And if there, if the gap is significant, then you know you can justify that move. But I still hesitate to. I I still wonder is Montez Sweat and you know whoever you can get in the third round, high in the third round, you know worth more than than Ed Oliver and whoever you could get at the bottom of the third round or or just the the more picks you have in the top 100, it, I think the better off you are in this draft in particular with the needs that they have at tight end and I still think at wide receiver, uh, you know there's some good players available in that range. Will they? And like I said, it's about how how high is that Oliver or Quinnen Williams, whoever it may be, and how big of a gap is there to justify that? Because, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where having the board stacked appropriately, having your values and doing your homework prepares you for that night because you can't you can't make a rash decision, uh, you know, to, to do that. It has to be something that you've calculated far in advance and that you've removed emotion from the equation. If you feel a desperate need at something, then you're not going to be dealing from a position of strength all the time. And that's where, at the beginning of the offseason, Brandon Bean said, we're in the top 10, but we don't need to be. I think that's a better attitude to have than uh, falling too in love with one particular player because nobody's bust-proof. But, um, but he's and, shown he's he's shown that he but, does it. But he does it. He that and that's where you know I think we learn more about Brandon Bean in this draft than we have in than we did last year because that last year was his first draft. It doesn't say a whole lot about Brandon Bean that he moved up for a quarterback because you know he was aggressive, but he's not the first general manager to be aggressive for a quarterback. Um, and you know those things. Obviously, it's hit or miss. It depends on the quarterback, but everybody has done it. Everybody who needs a quarterback and isn't picking number one tends to need to move up to get their guy. But moving up for a different player or you know, showing a willingness to move down uh, in the right situation um, can be smart. But this is not to say you know, moving down is always the right move right. because I think they showed a couple years ago that you know, that didn't necessarily pay off. Um, they don't get Josh Allen if they don't move back uh, from that number 10 pick, but they also, you know, could have had Patrick Mahomes. Or Deshaun Watson. So, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, sticking to your guns and knowing if there's an elite player there to go get them. But I always look at these trades of, and not to say nine to seven would necessarily be this type of trade, but, you know, the trades where a team moves up one spot. Right. gives up a pick and you think what are you doing moving up one spot you know that's locking yourself into one guy i think can sometimes be dangerous and i don't think you need to look any further than the sammy watkins trade to know that and obviously price factors in yeah. all the time but. there's a clear difference between the sammy watkins deal and what what this would be i mean if if the other team comes back and says look it's going to cost you your second rounder brandon bean should go look no deal dude because that's 40th overall odds are you're getting a starter at that spot and, and I don't I don't care if if uh, Ed Oliver is that much more worth it to them than say uh, Andre Diller, Jonah Williams, Montez Sweat, whoever it may be. Um, you're not giving up another starter. I think the third round is really where it starts to become the sweet spot for me because you know those guys conceivably 
they they become your starters. But the hit rate goes down considerably in the third round. And that that's why if you're able to flip that 74th pick or or you know switch spots in the third round to improve the Jags pick if it's with if it's with seven. I mean that's where the the bridge gets gapped so to speak for me. But you know I also know Brandon Bean lives and loves his values with with draft picks and he doesn't want to be caught giving up too much and and you know coming from the position of the powerless so to speak because in his mind he's not desperate for this but if they can get good value and still get the player that's atop their board which in my mind is probably at Oliver then he's gonna go do it now I also think if let's say the Jags or the Giants play hardball and say like I said the you know you know you're going to have to package 40 in there. We'll give you our, our third round pick. It's, it's still a no deal to me because you're still taking yourself way out of, of the realm of getting yourself another starter. So that's why I think they'll definitely do everything they can to see if they can move up for a guy like Oliver because I don't know that he's going to be there at nine. If he is, hurrah, because they've got themselves an impact player someone that they probably view to be pretty good and pretty high up on their board. But if he's not there and the cost didn't make sense, then you're picking from, I don't think Montez Sweat will be there. I think he's probably the Giants pick if, if, if I had to guess it today uh, or the Lions pick for that matter. Um, but if you're sitting there at nine, that's where you're in the spot going, okay, pick up impact offensive tackle. Uh, whether it be Andre Dillard or Jonah Williams. I know I said I wasn't crazy about the idea of Jonah Williams, but I think you sold me a little bit last week because the more I read about him and the more that I get to understand what he is, that's that's very much their cup of tea. So I, I think you also probably read his... Uh, I'm not sure if you, you read his quote. He did an interview with Pro Football Focus, and he thanked... He thanked the guy and said, thank you for watching all the film because not everybody does. And I thought, like Joe. Oh, jeez. I did not read that. <laughs> <laughs> he did not allow a sack last year. I mean, and he is one of those, he watches more film on himself than he does his opponents. He, he is very much their kind of guy. And But that's that's where I think you have to, there, there has to be some level of patience um, exhibited here. And, and you know, there's a chance this conversation goes flying out the window because Ed Oliver goes number three overall or something. Yeah, um, sure could. You know, there's or if all- he goes five, I think I think six or seven is probably the sweet spot for the Bills, but but five might be too rich and he could be gone. There's that. always a guy that is at the beginning of the process perceived as one of the top guys. Somehow people talk themselves into him being a guy that will slide to the end of the top ten or early teens. And then the draft rolls around and he gets picked where he was going to get picked all along. Mm -hmm. So that's always possible. I think, you know, the draft ends up looking a lot different than we think. And so it's a matter of being prepared for every scenario and determining that price ahead of time and not getting panicked. They don't need to come out. I guess my main point and that I would like to stress is that they don't need to come out of this draft with any one particular player. No, I agree with that. And 
is there a price where it would be worthwhile? Sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. You don't abs- you don't rule out trading up um, for the right guy. If this guy's Aaron Donald 2.0, uh, it doesn't hurt to have that guy on your roster instead of a third round pick. But given that this team is in a stage of its rebuild where young cheap players will be at a premium and seeing how many of those guys can be available at times in the second and third round, you ought to want to have more picks in those rounds than, than fewer picks. And so it's it's just a matter of not locking yourself in and saying, I need this guy. And Brandon Bean made an interesting comment, I thought, yesterday. He was quick to point out that he's not, that he would not rule out taking an offensive lineman. And, yeah. and you know, it was not so much that he said that because when the question is, you know, can we rule out an offensive lineman given everything that you've done? And he says, well, no, I wouldn't rule that out. Um, when Sean McDermott says stuff like that, it's he always says it in such a manner where you're thinking, all right, he would say that he wouldn't rule out anything. Mm-hmm. He, you could ask him the most outlandish thing. You know, can we rule out you running a marathon the morning of the draft? And he would say, well, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Uh, you know, and he would he's going to say that about everything. But the way Brandon Bean said it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, we, we like would, some guys. Yeah, I wouldn't rule that out. You know, there's there are some guys that would be worth it. And so they like the perception that anything is kind of on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is there's only really a, a few things on the table. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's as wide open no. as it's perceived. I, th- I think it's one of the lines or a tight end. Uh, I think tight end is a distant fourth, though, if, I, if I'm being honest. I think I think it's distant, but I don't know that it's... It's, it's not out, out of the question. No, I um, agree. I think... I really think DK Metcalf is is not on their radar oh, at nine. I, I, th- I mean, have you noticed uh, over the course of like the last two weeks, he's really had a slide in a lot of the the uh, connected people's mock drafts to where he is now. You know, in that Probably mid where to he late first round to yeah, begin with, exactly. and so yeah, it's not quite as um, you know wide open as, as it may seem, but. It makes, you know, you can connect the dots on their needs and the strengths of this draft. I still think they're in a good spot. Um, and there probably is some temptation to move up because they could be in a better spot to get one of these guys. But so much is going to depend on the quarterbacks. You've got to just pull for a guy like Dwayne Haskins to go in the top five. Mm-hmm. Pull for a guy like Drew Locke to maybe even be gone by the time the Bills are picking. Um, if not, they're in a, in the position of strength to potentially move down. But the more of those guys fly off the board, the happier they'll be. And heck, maybe somebody falls in love with DK Metcalf. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world either. Or, or TJ Hawkinson. Right. I mean, the more defensive line talent that's available, the better off they'll be. And the less likely it is that they'll have to, to move up and get a guy. See, I wonder if all of the defensive linemen that they would be interested in at ninth overall might be gone by the time they get there. Like, um, Bosa's going to be gone. Not sure that Josh Allen is someone they consider to be a schematic fit for them. Maybe they view view him as more of a stand-up 3-4 guy um, because, you know, scheme is very important to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. That is for sure because they follow prototypes almost blindly. Um, 
Ed Oliver notwithstanding, because he's just kind of an anomaly, a, a freak of nature. Um, but Bosa, Quinn and Williams probably gone. Um, and then you get into these other couple of guys, Montez Sweat and Ed Oliver. And I think there's a fairly good chance that all four of those players I just listed are gone before ninth overall, which leaves you in a spot because at that point, is Christian Wilkins worth the ninth pick? Probably not. Uh, Brian Burns, Cleveland Farrell. I mean, these guys are, I mean, Cleveland Farrell is a schematic fit for you, but is he worth the a top 10 pick? No. Uh, same thing with Christian Wilkins. And then you get into kind of a, a tweener mode because those guys that I just listed are probably gone. Rashawn Gary's another one of this. Those guys are all probably gone by the time 40 rolls around. So that's that's part of it too because what could you conceivably get at 40? And what positions might have the most strength by the time 40 comes around based on all the work that they've done with the mock drafts that, that they'll do on Monday and Tuesday and, and trying to figure out exactly what these teams are going to do or how it could look. There's a pretty solid chance that there won't be an edge rusher, a defensive tackle, or an offensive lineman that will be worth the 40th overall pick. Because the O-line, it seems like there's going to be a, a bit of a run in that late first to early second range. The the defensive tackles that we've been talking about, Wilkins is probably the best of the bunch. And, you know, we brought up Jerry Tillery last time, and I just don't know he's their type of guy, their type of character guy. The way that Jonah Williams is, I don't know that Jerry Tillery is uh, is necessarily for them. So what? So then what are you doing? At that spot, which is why I think tight end is a bit more distant, if they're looking at a tight end or a wide receiver, that's where the value meets the pick and the potential that someone is there that that you view pretty highly that could come in and, and help make an impact on your team. So that's why, like you said, it's it's not a, a terribly diverse range of outcomes here. It's probably going to be an offensive or a defensive lineman at ninth overall or in the top 10, wherever the heck they pick. It's just, Brandon Bean's just got to look himself in the mirror and go, okay, what is the best possible thing for 2019 and into the future? And can I stomach worsening my third round pick or giving it up altogether? That's that's really all, all it boils down to. I mean, they, they could be perfectly fine with coming away in this draft with either Jonah Williams or Andre Diller at, at ninth overall. And I, I think they view both of those guys as worth it, to be honest. Um, to come in and be a left tackle for them right away. I know there's some debate out there about if a right tackle is really worth it. I'm not sure it is in their eyes. In some some other decision makers' eyes, maybe, yeah. But that's why I, I don't really bring Jawan Taylor into, the, into this discussion. And I don't... Did they? I think they talked to Jawan Taylor. I think he met with them, but but still, it's there's more value to them in that left tackle because then then you have that figured out conceivably. But it's just it's really just trying to also predict what it's going to look like at forty because you have to be mindful of that and not necessarily saying that should dictate you not taking the top guy on your board, but it also should dictate whether or not you should maybe make a move up to where you need to get to to get an impact player at um, a position that 
you might not be able to get something. And I know it, that goes into need, but it also the need also meets the, meets the player if you feel that strongly about it. So it, it's there's a lot of gray area when it when you talk about drafting best player available versus drafting need. I, I just think they're a lot more similar than given credit for. Yeah, I would I would agree because I made this point yesterday when I was talking to some people that no matter wh- who they pick. He Brandon Bean's going to be able to walk up there and say he's the best player on on his board, and, and who has what? never said thirty one other general managers are going to do the exact same thing. <laughs> I would love to hear a general manager say, "Well, this guy was the third best guy on our board, but we really needed a defensive tackle, and and so we took him." They all talk about drafting the best player available, and the fact of the matter is, the board is manipulated to your needs almost all the time, yeah. and so. What they have to do is, you know, and this is the the cool thing about the draft is you start with four to five hundred players that you're looking at. You spend however many millions of dollars and hours scouting all across the country, combine, senior bowl, pro day, shrine game, top 30 visits, the whole deal. You need to and it comes down to just a couple of scenarios like like we said. Before the draft, you need to have determined a price and probably reached out to a couple of teams to say to put rough parameters in place on mm-hmm. a potential deal. Determine a price you're comfortable with and don't budge from it. If you can't get a deal done, you have to determine the doomsday scenario. Brandon Bean talked about the mock drafts that they do, and he mentioned he will butt in and say, all right, we need to do one where these three guys are gone. So we don't end up with the same result every time. We all know if Ed Oliver's on the board, we're taking Ed Oliver. Let's do one where Ed Oliver's not on the board, and neither mm-hmm. is Quinn and Williams, and neither is Montez Sweat. Then what are we doing? That's where you probably need to be prepared with offers the other way. Who's willing to come up? What are they willing to pay? Is it worth it? If you get stuck and you don't have the option of any of those guys, who are you comfortable taking? Whether it's Jonah Williams, Andre Dillard, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Font, who knows? You have to have all your bases covered because you really shouldn't be... I know fans uh, on draft night, your heart's going to be beaten. You're probably going to be sweating. You're going to be on the edge of your seat wondering what the hell is going to happen. You can't really be that way if you're a general manager. Mm -hmm. You should have prepared for absolutely everything. And yeah, you're going to... You know, your adrenaline's going to be going and... And it's one of those nights where, you know, you're going to be pretty pumped up after you make the pick and you bring a guy into your your franchise. And I you mean, might be pointing fingers and getting people on the phone like Doug Whaley. The exactly. You know, and I always remember how jacked up Doug Whaley would be when he would come out after making a pick. It was like he had just, you know, had like six cups of coffee and he was out there just buzzing. And Brandon Bean, very much the same way. I mean, he, you know, after, you know, getting Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, it was like, you know, the adrenaline is real, but there has to be a level of preparation and focus so that you don't do something in the heat of the moment uh, that you haven't planned for. And it sounds like no duh, right? It sounds like, of course, you should you should do that. But it's not how it's always done, quite frankly, around the league. And I think there are a lot of rash decisions made. And that's where mistakes get made that can can set a franchise back. So I think you know, no panic is is the big thing. You sit mm-hmm. there at nine. If you get stuck at nine and have to pick a player, 
you're probably going to be picking a pretty good player. You're yeah. in the top 10 and this is a, this is not a bad draft. You know, this is not 2013 where, you know, there's, you know, not many players that are really worth it and you're kind of playing a guessing game. There are some good players and the Bills outside of a few positions could pick anything, any position and you'd say, "All right, this guy might be able to fit in." You know, and find a way into the starting lineup. So that's where, you know, they just have to be cool, calm, and collected as much as possible heading into Thursday night. Yeah, if we can just circle back, the reason why, or part of the reason why I believe they will be making a top 10 selection and not trading out of that spot is because of the difference of player they would be getting by doing so. And for instance, if it was an edge rusher, you'd be... The best case scenario, it, with that top 10 pick, you'd be getting Montez Sweat. If you trade out of that pick, you're you're downgrading. You're getting Cleveland Farrell or, you know, Brian Burns. And I know some people love Brian Burns, but I'm not sure he's necessarily high up on the Bills board. I mean, he could be, but I, I, he doesn't really seem to fit their their profile of of guys they, they normally like. Um, but defensive tackle, same thing. You could get Ed Oliver in the top 10, or you could wind up going way down, moving way down and picking up Christian Wilkins, who I know some people like, not as crazy about him, but, uh, you know, it's still it's still a downgrade in their mind. You're not getting, and this is where I go back to the tiers that, that Brandon Bean talked about, top tier guys, middle tier guys, bottom guys. And if you have an opportunity at ninth overall to get a top tier guy, you do it. Same thing with the offensive line. Do you want Jonah Williams slash Andre Dillard, or do you want Greg Little? Caleb, <laughs> wow, that's awful. Right? Cal- I mean, Greg Little is probably late first, early second. Caleb McGarry from Washington, uh, Dalton Reisner out of uh, Kansas State. I mean, these these are guys that have questions, but are still probably late first, early second guys, and that's what you would be settling on if if you're the Bills by moving out of that spot, which is why they have a top ten pick. I believe they're going to use it. I think so, too, uh, whether it's their pick or, or somebody else's yes. pick. Yep. I think part of it, too, is, you know, wondering what player, you know, teams would come up to get. Um, because I do think there is a bit of a drop-off and a bit of a mm-hmm. a gray area from, you know, the, the 10 to 40 range uh, in terms of how people are going to stack these players. It would have to be a quarterback. Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones are, are probably the three right. that you keep an eye on because the Bengals and Dolphins and Redskins could be in the mix for a quarterback. You know, you brought up the Chargers last week. The the Saints are, you know, potentially looking for a quarterback of the future. There's a lot of teams in that, you know, that could surprise you and want a quarterback and fall in love with one of those guys. But this isn't last year's quarterback draft mm-hmm. where teams are going to be tripping over themselves to get them. And so, you know, sometimes we see overcorrections in that way where teams all of a sudden sit still and and don't, you know, move up to get quarterbacks. I think after the 2011 draft, that happened a little bit um, where teams were a little bit more patient maybe, um, you know, after the way some of those guys turned out. So that's going to be the big question in terms of whether they move back. I would still applaud a, a trade back. I just don't know if it's if it's in the cards the way everything's 
shaping yeah. up. And yeah, I agree. There. I think it's two or two. All you need is two quarterbacks to go in the top nine to feel like the Bills are getting. You're getting one of the best seven players in the draft. Uh, in in that case, you know, non quarterbacks, which you weren't picking anyways, mm-hmm. and so even better if um, you know who is it? Devin Bush is is talked about as a as a potential top pick. Devin White. Devin White. Yeah, uh, Bush I, is the I other mix line. him up. Bush all is the other line. The time, and I, you Devin know what White. I also do for Devin Bush? I've I have this mental block where I'm like, all right, Devin Bush, Notre Dame. I'm like, no, I know it's Michigan, but yeah. So it, I do it. Devin White could be a top eight pick. Even better. Again, you know, not that they couldn't potentially use a guy like that, but probably not picking one at nine. So um, then you get a top six player. And you just think about it that way because it's possible they get stuck at nine. And I don't think, I really don't think that's a bad thing because Mm -hmm. um, even if they grab an offensive lineman, um, I still think that's a really solid move for this franchise. And, you know, Ty and Seke is 34 years old. Deion Dawkins is a huge question mark. Adrian Waddle might not even make the team, you know? I mean, they brought in a lot of offensive linemen, but the only one you look at and say, that guy's a cornerstone is Mitch Morse. And so they still need those guys. And you have a quarterback who relies on downfield passing and buying time with his legs. Having some offensive linemen wouldn't be a bad thing. You've also got two, uh, you know, guys in your backfield that are north of 30 and are on their last legs. So... Having guys that can block in front of them, not a bad thing. And mm-hmm. here's another thought. Say you draft Jonah Williams or Andre Dillard, you know, guys that could just jump in and be your left tackle. Maybe you go get another uh, third-round pick by swapping Deion Dawkins uh, and sending him somewhere. You Who's to he, say? You think he's I don't know if he would net a third, but I think maybe, he'd probably net like a four or Maybe five. Deion Dawkins and your third-round pick gets you back into the second round. You know, maybe Deion mm. Dawkins and one of your fours gets you an extra third round pick. Or maybe Deion Dawkins helps you helps you with a package to get up to to nine or get up to seven if you really want to. Maybe he does. So that's where, you know, I think there's a lot of possibilities out there for this team. I think it's it's weird because it's a draft that in many ways hasn't generated the buzz, obviously, that last year did. Um and no draft will for a long time, most likely, unless they need to go get a quarterback again mm-hmm. in a few years. But as we get closer, it's clear that it's going to be an exciting night, I think, for for the Bills and and for the fans, because uh, even though there are only probably three or four possibilities here, they're all very different. And so there there could be uh, some fireworks and and there could be, um, you know, they're going to be in the spotlight, I think, at that pick, because it's a bit of a turning point of the draft Mm -hmm. um, with the Broncos sitting at 10 and, you know, nobody really knowing how these quarterbacks are perceived. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing it unfold and learning a little bit about Brandon Bean, what he values and how he uh, goes about determining um, value and in, in specifically in the top 10, because like you said, in an ideal world, we're not going to see that for a little while. Last thing I'll say about a potential trade up. If it was to seven, they can always trade back up from 98 if they really wanted to, to move up into the third round, give up one of their later picks because it's a lot easier to move up with later picks. So, I mean, it's not as though they're locked in to that spot. It's just they're securing a guy that they really like and still they have the chance to move up if they really feel strongly enough about somebody. And that's why I don't 
I don't speak in absolutes when I right. say they shouldn't at, they shouldn't trade up to get a guy that they want because like last year you view it in the totality of the trades that they made. Mm-hmm. You know, on the surface, trading the first pick in the third round to move up six spots and get Tremaine Edmonds uh, is, you know, you wonder, eh, is it worth the first pick in the third round is a really valuable pick. Then you remember they traded Tyrod Taylor to get that pick. So, you know, the trade value chart says that the Tremaine, the Tremaine Edmonds trade was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could turn out to be a huge win. And it's also... You know, when you factor in, well, they traded Tyrod Taylor and 22 for 16, you say, oh, that's pretty good, you know, because they weren't going to use Tyrod Taylor anyways. So um, it's all about the the big picture of the entire weekend. And so maybe, like you said, they make a move up, but they recoup that value mm-hmm. somewhere down the line, whether it's with Shaq Lawson or Deion Dawkins or some of their fourths and fifths, they and a combination of those. They just have so many day three picks, and it. I don't. The day three picks is no, where you lose me on those because it's like, well, now you're just throwing darts. Yeah, right. And past the fourth round, I think that's that's where it starts to go. Well, all right, do we really need all? It's of a these? bit of a guessing game. You end up with guys like Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl. You only have room for so many Ray Ray McLeods in the world, and. Quite frankly, they may have reached their limit on that already. So I think, you know, once you get into those, that's why the whole, oh, they have 10 picks. What? So much ammunition. No, they've got three picks that really matter. Maybe five. Yeah, you I, know, like, I like the two because fours. Because the fours, you know, some guys fall to that early day three range. I kind of love the fourth round in this draft, if I'm honest. Yeah, the fives through sevens, you're you're playing a guessing game. And they're not. most of them aren't going to make, potentially won't make your roster. Um, so that's where... Having the flexibility on those days is nice. Like you said, they move back in the third round. There's no saying they can't get back up. Um, And you give up a fifth or both of your fifths and move back up into the third round. Then you're feeling feeling pretty good about that. And I'd have no problem doing that because they're fifth round picks. The fours are, you know, somewhat valuable. So we say they got five picks that matter in this draft that really matter. Um, And how they choose to move those around to get the best value it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a fun game to play. It's a fun exercise before the draft, and um, it's one that takes a lot of, you know, calculation and precision mm-hmm. uh, on the night of from from those in charge. You know what I like about that fourth round, where I think is there's an opportunity to strike for them running back. Yeah, that and that's that's the spot because the running back class in the top kind of stinks. Yeah, uh, there's nobody that's that's like where a first the value indicates it's most worth it. And there's really not a ton of guys in the second round that you feel great about. But I know Brandon Bean wouldn't say it, but I still think they need a guy, a younger guy in the backfield. And mm-hmm. you know, those two fours and two fives is where you'll probably see them find that guy mm-hmm. um at, at least that's like you mentioned the sweet spot for a miles sanders type uh you know somebody in that range justice uh, hill yeah you know there's some some backs that, that can make uh an impact i think in that range mm-hmm. and what better position to walk into than you know to play behind frank Gore and LaShawn mccoy um you know in a backfield behind a rebuilt offensive line i think it would be a good situation and and they'd be wise to take advantage all right a lot of good theory talk today. A couple of really great announcements for our Bills Beat listeners out there. The first, well, really the second, the second annual Podmock will 
occur on Friday. And guess what? We got our old buddy Ty Dunn back in the saddle. He's like, well, what if I don't know a ton about these prospects? I'm like, who cares? You're the GM. You do whatever you need to do. I don't know if it's within our best interest to do all 32 picks, but... Probably not. Yeah, But, I, you I, know, the... The top 10 is still a fun exercise. Yeah, top 10, I think, is, is what we're going to do And who this knows? Year. Maybe um, maybe Brandon Bean finds a trade trade down partner, and we have Ooh. to extend it a little bit. So who's to say, really? It all depends on who gets uh, the Brandon Bean and the Buffalo Bills. And the second announcement um, did not even run this by you, but I'm sure you're on board. Uh, we have been woefully negligent about giving away jerseys. That's right. And our uh, our good friend of the pod, um, Joe from New York City, as he wants to be called, but really it's Buffalo Wins, um, he gifted us a bunch of jerseys. And I see an opportunity for a potential contest. The schedule is getting released on Wednesday. So here's, here is my, uh, uh, my uh, contest to you, the listener. And I'm not going to tell you which jerseys they are. But they're all Bills jerseys and throwbacks, nonetheless. So, if you want an opportunity to win one of those jerseys, we're going to give away two um, for the schedule release. What I need you to do is tweet at both of us your guess for who will be the first home opponent and who will be the first away opponent. And... If you get that right, then you enter a drawing into who uh, into who gets the jersey. So that way, you're st- it's still kind of a guessing game, but you're also upping your odds in getting said jersey by by being able to do this. So tweet at both of us. Give us who you think will be the first. Or put it in the iTunes comments. We always look at the <laughs> iTunes comments when people, especially when people say mean things about us, right? Which doesn't happen often, but but it happens. So the first home opponents, the first away opponents. And if you get both of them right, then you're in the running for both jerseys. How about that? So, yeah, each one is an entry into and these are Bills jerseys. Yes, they are. And the thing is, he Joe gave us a few. So, I'm even inclined to give you the pick of the litter. Or we just pick it out of a right out of the bag at random. Ooh, that'd be good too. Because we'll make, a, yeah, these we'll make are, a show out of it. It's not quite the same value as a Jake Plummer jersey, but I, <laughs> you know, it's probably comparable. There's some, there's a good mix of legitimate fan favorites and guys that make you laugh mm-hmm. and or cry, depending so you- on uh, the type of person you are. So it's a good <laughs> good drawing to uh, to be in. All right, and the schedule release. Pretty exciting day. Yeah. You've got, let's see, we're taping this. It's it's noon on Tuesday right now. By the time I put this up, it'll probably be like 2 o'clock. So you'll have a, a fresh uh, 30 hours to listen to this and... So only the true diehards yeah, will really... Right. The guys who get, you know, the, the listeners who get notifications on their phones at a new episode and mm-hmm. scramble to find their headphones in their cubicle. Those are the the heroes who will get a shot at this jersey. Indeed. 30 hours. Tweet at both of us or leave it in the iTunes comments. And then uh, we'll, we'll see who, who gets a jersey. And if there's no 
Winners? We'll just put everybody in a hat and give away a jersey. Yeah. How about that? Okay. We've got plenty to give away. Only one entry, by the way. Don't don't bother tweeting tweeting at us with every single one. I'll see right through it. Got it? Good. Only the first one counts. Yeah, only the first one no counts. No burner accounts. Ooh. We're going to be checking um, Yeah, that's right. Checking your your burner accounts too. We have people. That means you Buffalo wins. <laughs> On that note. Imagine if he tried to win his own jerseys. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. Nope. Nope. So uh, the next time you'll hear from us will be on Friday when uh, Tyler Dunn joins us for the uh, for the second ever pod mock, which will be a lot less uh, time consuming this time around. Because remember last year we had to redo it. Yeah, broke. Well, yeah, my computer, which I had to replace, by the way, many months later. Yeah, not ideal. At any rate. Thank you all for listening to this episode of The Bills Beat. We'll be back with our buddy Tyler on Friday, and we will speak with you then for the unveiling of who gets the jerseys as well. Talk to you then. See ya.